You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor. Joining alongside Shotgun Spratling, this is a special Wednesday edition of the podcast because I will be in Austin on Thursday and thus will not be able to podcast. So today, we're breaking down USC's first loss of the season to Stanford. It wasn't a pretty one, Shotgun. No, it was a it was fairly disappointing game, you know, just in the fact that, you know, the offense just was very, you know, they moved the ball some, but just very inconsistent and couldn't get things over the over the hump and get in the end zone. So, uh, you know, what seemed, you know, a 17-3 game is not that big of a margin. It seemed like it was much more, and it was a very slow, like, dragging game because, you know, there were not many scores and it was not very exciting. Uh, so it was it's kind of a plotting game at times. So it was kind of, you know, kind of upsetting that you go up to Stanford and, and you kind of have that effort. So uh, we'll see how they bounce back this week. Indeed. Uh, before we get into that, as a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Audio Boom. You can also email us questions or submissions uh, to familyfeudpod at gmail.com. We got some emails today, or this week, I guess, and we'll get into that. Thank you for everyone who emails us. Sometimes you guys email topics that we already cover, so I tried to like put your name in there, but we see your emails. We appreciate them, so don't worry about that. You're getting seen. Uh, do it, do it, do it. Email, email, subscribe, subscribe. <laughs> Are you a cheerleader, Shaka? I don't know. I like it. <laughs> stock up, who you got? I, stock up is always hard in a loss. Let me just put that out first, but stock up, who you got? I got Christian Rector, you know, uh, the fact that they, they changed his role. He went from being just a third down specialist in the first game to, you know, he was on the field, you know, almost every play in the first half. And, you know, they used him a ton as both an interior and exterior guy. Uh, on that defensive line. So uh, I think that it shows that you know, he made enough of an impact in that first game against UNLV that the coaching staff decided to, uh, to to give him a bigger role this week. How many plays did he actually play? Do you have that up handy? He played, uh, uh, he played 49 of the 57 defensive plays. Um, so he played 28 in the first half, he played 21 in the second half. So uh, there were five defensive players from off the top of my head that's played all 57 defensive snaps. Um, so you had Marvell Tell, Iman Marshall, um, Cam Smith, and Port Augustine. It was four, four instead of five. Uh, so you had four guys that played every snap, and then uh, Christian Rector was the next guy with 49 snaps total. Um, I had stock up for both C.J. Pollard and Talanoa Hufunga. I thought they did a good job being thrown into the mix unexpectedly uh, when Isaiah Pulamau goes down with that separated shoulder. I think uh, Isaiah should also get some stock up, at least for toughness, because he he separated his shoulder early in that first drive and kept playing. Maybe that's the adrenaline, but he definitely hung in there <laughs> with some pain. Uh, but I thought C.J. and Talanoa both did admirable um, for being thrown in there and getting more playing time than they're used to. They're definitely going to be called upon this week as Isaiah Pulamau is ruled out for uh, the game against Texas. So that will be something interesting to watch for, for sure. Yeah, I, I had them on my list as well, both the backup safeties for coming in and doing a pretty good job. You know, Isaiah, it, it looked like to us, you know, watching, rewatching the game and seeing him during the game, they converted that first third down, third and long. They picked up 22 yards. 
and he sticks his shoulder right in there and, and to make the tackle. And he stayed on the ground for a little bit and was kind of, you know, seemed to be favoring that right shoulder. And then, you know, he took, I think it was three or four more plays during that drive where he hit somebody all with his right shoulder. Uh, and he just, you know, basically crumpled in the end zone at the end of that drive and, and you know, came over to the sideline with his arm kind of hanging um, and, and then, you know, he went to the medical tent and didn't come back, but then those other guys came in. So it was interesting because of how they used them. So I asked Clancy Pendergast after the game and said, you know, did you have to change anything based on him leaving? Did you have any special packages or anything that you, you wanted him to be a part of? You, did you have to call the game differently with the skill sets of the other two guys? And he said, no. He said, so looking at it from, you know, from the participation guide and looking at that, uh, you could tell that. C.J. Pollard basically was the guy when they were in nickel. When they were in nickel, it would be C.J. Pollard in the game. When they were in their base or their heavy packages, Talanoa came in and played almost like a, a hybrid linebacker spot. So it, it was interesting that that both of those guys already had a role to, to basically back up Talanoa. Uh, that's basically what Clancy said, that each of them had packages where they were going to participate or, or you know could potentially be used. And so it seemed like they were used straight up for based on which defense USC w- was going with. That's how they chose the, the safety. Uh, in and figured out which guy was going to go in. And so CJ ended up playing 35 plays and Talanoa played 14. Um, that may be reversed this week. It seems like Talanoa is getting some of those first team reps this week. Uh, we'll see how they do it. If they, if they have something where they split, split the opportunities for both of them this week uh, and try to, you know, just maximize the strengths of each of them, or if someone actually takes a starters role and the other one is a backup. I, I think that's uh, that's something I'm interested to see this week, how they kind of use that position and kind of crazy how that safety position has gone from, you know, a, a position, of strength and several bodies to to now you're down to three guys basically right now yeah and Helton mentioned that in his Sunday press conference that he might they're moving Chase Williams over to safety to get some more time and Helton said that you we won't really see a starter uh, as far as that that second safety with CJ and Talanoa because they're going to be rotating so much so that's not something that whoever gets a start something to be like ooh, they definitely have the edge Helton said that it's it, it doesn't look like that this week and if they use them like last week, then that's basically what they're doing. It's just they had certain whatever, whichever defense they were in, that's the player that was in. Uh, so it wasn't you know based on hey this guy's playing well, this guy's playing well. It was certain packages. And with with younger guys that aren't as experienced, if you have two guys and you can give them one thing to focus on, I think that's actually a, a good idea. If you if they're pretty comparable as far as skill sets or as far as you know talent level, uh, you feel like they're going to pr- uh, produce about the same amount. Why not just you know instead of giving them the full playbook and hey you had to learn. And all these di- different defenses let them focus on one thing and then go from there and you know and I think if if one of them plays well you'll see their confidence grow and you know maybe late in the game they'll stick with a guy based on you know how they're playing in the game too yeah that's a great point that will definitely be something to be interesting to, to watch for going forward who else you got on stock up since you took my backup safeties I got Matt <laughs> Fink you know I thought he came in there and did a good job uh you know when JT JT basically gets hit and you know his his hand got kind of trapped in between the chest plates uh, of his his chest plate and the defender's chest plate uh, on that first drive to end it and so he went in the tent uh, we're kind of Matt Fink comes out and I'm like wait a second what what they were gonna run this the Matt Fink package at the beginning of a drive that's kind of <laughs> weird and then I looked around I was like where is JT and I'd seen somebody in the tent I'd seen a helmet in there but I thought it was pull him out because I had just seen him in there you know a, a couple plays prior to that so when I looked and saw it I you know I just assumed it was the same person instead it was actually JT Daniels he runs back up the tunnel to to get x-rayed uh comes
comes back, it's negative. It's just a bone bruise. Um, so he ends up playing the rest of the game w- with that injury. But he missed one drive that kind of spanned, you know, half the first quarter and the start of the second quarter because USC ran the ball really well. And Matt Fink completed the one pass that he threw, uh, you know, or the first pass that he threw. His second pass attempt, he gets drilled from the backside, so he didn't really have a chance to to complete it um, with some poor uh, blocking on the offensive line, the tight ends there. So I, I thought just, you know, being thrown in the mix like that and, and you know, basically you're going to you're going to have a special package that we'll potentially use in the game, turning that to, hey, we need you to go out there and run the entire offense and, and get us in a good position. You know, he drove the drove the ball down the field, uh, and if they did a little bit better on that third and ten, then I think that, you know, they could at least got a field goal out of that drive. Um, I think that's a drive that they missed the field goal on. Um, yeah. So, you know, they pick up five yards or, or you know, seven yards there. It makes it that much more of a makeable field goal. He didn't really get a chance to, to do that because of how quickly the pressure got there on that play. Yeah. I have uh, J.T. Fele as a stock up. I thought he played pretty well. Um, a friend of the the style, Rich SC on Twitter, he said that J.T. Fele was playing like a, a caffeinated wild bear out there, which I thought was kind of a good description of how he played. And on a day where USC didn't really generate that much uh, attack or a rush, I thought he did at least an admiral job. And for a young guy, I think he's he's stepping out as one of the emerging as one of the top uh, defensive linemen out there. That's interesting because he didn't really pop on when when watching the game to me just because you know the only play that I remember him being really involved in was a screen pass that they, that the guy stumbled on and he was there to to get him afterwards. I know he made one or two tackles in the in, you know in line with with some of the runs they did, but you know with him in there they want him to get to the passer and he did that against UNLV and no one really did that in this game. You know they got some hits on on KJ Costello. You know they made him they made him. Uh, uh, wince in pain a few times. However, they never could get that sack. They never they didn't get any tip balls or anything on the defensive line. So a little bit disappointing from the defensive line. So I didn't think I could have anybody on stock up from the defensive line besides Christian Rector and his role changing. Um, I, I think that was more stock up than anyone's actual play on that defensive line. It was a little generous for sure, but I think <laughs> I think that he at least stood out to me, I, especially when I was down there filming. Um, but you know, I don't know. I definitely. The defense, defensive line as a whole does not get a stock up rating, and and in losses like these, finding stock ups are are little gems that you have to dig for. Mm-hmm, that's true. I also had a uh, Iman Marshall on mine. I thought he played really well. You know, he gave up one completion at Arcega Whiteside, um, basically shut down half the field. They threw at him twice. And the only one was that one completion where he kind of slipped out of his break, and that was the only reason there was a little bit of separation there. Um, so besides that, he was right on top of everything. He came up and made some plays in the run in the in the run game, stopping Bryce Love on the edge. Uh, besides the one touch, the touchdown that Bryce Love had, and he kind of got you know knocked off a, of a chance to to get to Bryce Love by Jenna Harris coming back from the outside coming in. You know, he, he got a little bit too inside on that one. But after that, I thought he played really well holding that edge and making sure that Stanford couldn't get outside uh, uh, when they had some opportunities with Bryce Love, where usually he can make a, a DB miss on the outside. Iman Marshall did not let that happen. Yeah, I, I thought he was good and worthy of stock up as well. My last stock up uh, is kind of a, a cop out. I have Elijah Vera Tucker on stock up, but he really was only in about like 10 plays, I believe, and, and some of the plays mm-hmm. didn't actually go his way, but I think Andrew Voorhees uh, did not get it done on Saturday. I just thought he was very inconsistent, um, causing plays to, to really blow up, and so by way of, of Andrew Voorhees, I think Elijah Vera Tucker's stock is up just because I think uh, he's at least worthy getting more, uh, maybe more playing time, getting more rotation, even more look at maybe putting him where Andrew Voorhees is. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't think Elijah Vera Tucker played great. I mean, there was nothing. There was no, he didn't play bad. He didn't play. You know, he was just in there for ten plays, and you know, there was no real difference making plays for him. You know, a lot of stuff was away from him. There wasn't any you know big blocks like he had. You know, last week at UNLV, I thought he was just you know tearing people up. Um, but like you said, Andrew Voorhees was very inconsistent in the game, and you know, it cost him a couple of the of the drives that they had uh, because they weren't able to to pick up some some blockers on the second and third level um, that, that would have sprung some runs for bigger gains and stuff. So, you know, I, I thought Andrew Voorhees wasn't great. The the problem with getting Elijah Vera Tucker more opportunities is that USC really only had th- four drives in the first half. So the third drive they give to Vera Tucker, the fourth drive they put Clayton Bradley in there instead of Chuma. Uh, so then after that, they had a they had a two-play drive at the very end uh, in the last, like, 20 seconds. So I don't even really count that. So then you get to the second half, and you're trailing by two scores. Do you really want to rotate then? It makes it more, that much more difficult uh, with how few drives they had in the first half and the fact that they were down by two scores going in the second half. So, you know, it, it's you would like to see Elijah Vera Tucker just because uh, of the inconsistency in front of him and the fact that he was really good last week. But it, it makes it tough when, when you don't have uh, those extra opportunities early in the game and you're not that close in the second half to, to go away from your starters to try to get other guys' opportunities. Well, we're opening Pandora's box of the offense and the problems that, that plague it. So maybe we should just – do you have any more stock up before we get to stock down? That is all my stock up. Okay, well, let's just go into stock down. Yeah, there were, there were plenty of stock downs, especially – let's start with the offensive line. It wasn't that there were you know a ton of mistakes – it was that there were that there was you know a mistake on it seemed like every other play or so uh, so it wasn't that they were the entire line was getting beat it was one guy would get beat or they wouldn't communicate on you know some of these long stunts that Stanford did that's what the the, the offensive line of guys said you know they were kind of fooled by that and they didn't you know get their head around and, and make that adjustment took them a while to, to get uh, to, to change and figure that out from Stanford so a lot of the third downs got destroyed by those type of plays you know it just seemed like when they had opportunities even when four guys be doing really well and you get a run that's four or five yards that fifth guy doesn't get his block on the second level instead of a you know a potentially 15 or a 20 yard run you get a four or five yard run and it was those type of things that was just consistently through the game where it wasn't the big giant breakdowns where you know just a offensive lineman just get bowled over and the quarterback gets destroyed uh it was that there were there was someone not doing their job almost every other play it seemed like yeah, I had that too. The inconsistency. You don't know who's going to miss their assignment on each play. And that's something that T. Martin said to to the same effect is it made play calling harder because you don't know where the breakdown is going to happen. He also said that in a general sense as far as wide receivers too. But, I mean, it's this whole s- circle of, well, if the offensive line isn't consistent, maybe play calling is a little funky. And if play calling is a little funky, then the offensive line isn't good. You know what I'm saying? So it it, mm-hmm. it made everything so much harder. And obviously Stanford is good at bringing different looks and stuff. And, you know, they're usually pretty good up front, but this Stanford team is not, they don't have the, the, you know, I thought Swan was really good in this game, but he's not Harrison uh, Phillips from last year. You know, he's not some of the guys they've had in the past, Solomon Thomas uh, in the middle of that line. Uh, So, you know, they just don't have the same talent level that, that they've had in the years past. And for the fact that they were able to, to cause so much disruption up front was very disappointing, especially when USC gets Toa Lobodon back, 
uh, in the middle of that line, you think, okay, well, now you got your captain, you got your senior, you know, he's going to be able to make the calls. You should be able to pick up the things and you shouldn't have those issues that maybe you might be concerned with if Brett Nealon was still having to play that game being a redshirt freshman. Instead, you know, the, you had your veteran guys in there, even though some of them were nicked up at, at the end of the last week. And maybe that's a, uh, something you have to look at, but you know, it was just way too inconsistent for a group that should be much better than they were. How do you feel about, I mean, you had three offensive linemen, uh, Tolo Bandon, Tumadoga, and Austin Jackson, basically limited throughout the week, and then you have all three of them ready to play once it comes Saturday. I mean, at some, do you think at some point that hinders them, at least not being prepared on the practice field and going straight into Saturday's game? I mean, obviously it doesn't help that you don't have your guys out there practicing and being able to get together, especially when Toa is coming back from an injury. So he's got to get used to the guys again. They've got to get used to his calls, that type of thing. Uh, so it definitely would have helped to have all those guys healthy. And I don't understand if Austin Jackson has been you know, kind of banged up and he's had this ankle injury that's kind of bothered him over the last two or three weeks uh, and you know hasn't fully healed, I guess is probably the thing. Why is he blocking for the, the punter? Why is he on like like three or four different special teams? He's been the the player that's played the most total play snaps the last two weeks. Uh, you know, he had 86 plays the first game. He had 81 total plays this week. Why is he on those extra things if he's banged up? Like, it, can no other lineman, offensive or defense, stand in front and block? the rushers that are coming to to try to block a punt like I don't understand it because then he's having to run 20 yards downfield or 40 yards downfield depending on you know it's a fair catch or whatever it may uh, or a return and then try to make a play like those are type things you don't need your your left tackle trying to do um, if he's banged up a little bit like let him heal and rest up and you know if you want to put him back on that later in the year go for it then once he's 100% but if he's having to get extra extra taping during practice like he did yesterday or if he's you know if it's something that's keeping him out on you know the lighter days on Thursdays then why are you in there putting extra stress on his body with those extra bumps and bangs that he's going to get from playing extra special teams doesn't make any sense to me yeah without a doubt the USC's handling of injuries still continues to be a little suspect for me um but <laughs> I also had tight ends on stock down um I think it's safe to say it was not Tyler Petit's best performance of his career um it just was not good as far as catching and blocking, both Eric Cromanhook and Petit struggled majorly. Um, and the problem when you don't have a guy like Petit catching balls that he should catch, at least, uh, the middle of the field doesn't get used. And for a, at least a, a portion of throws that would go to the middle don't get thrown there. And then now you have guys keying in there. So I just think it was hard for, for USC to basically not have tight ends either receiving or blocking. Um, but there's a, po a potential bright side maybe uh, this Saturday because we did see Josh follow uh, practice for the first time after having that hamstring injury that kept him out. Uh, he's definitely a receiving option, and USC desperately needs one in as far as the tight end goes. So if all things go well for USC and, and, and follow comes back on Saturday against Texas, that's at least a positive sign for that struggling injured tight end group. Yeah, and, and Clay Helton said that you know they expect Follow to be ready for this weekend. They they hope to get Austin Appleby back next weekend. Just having those extra bodies definitely would help them uh, to have extra options. If a guy's not playing well, hey, let's make a let's make a change. Let's put somebody else in there, give them an opportunity. Yeah, Tyler Petit did not have a very good game. Uh, Aaron Croman Hook when he was in didn't do much. Uh, you know, the, the Stanford was really taking away the middle of the field. They're playing one high safety, so. You're not going to be able to throw in the middle of the field as much, anyways. But then, you know, when when USC was keeping in a running back or a tight end to block, you know, having six or seven blockers, you would see Stanford's 
run, uh, linebackers kind of drop back in the middle of the field and kind of you know be extra zone defenders in the middle of the field while they were manned up on the outsides, just taking away that middle where JT really killed it uh, you know the week before against UNLV. So I think that was part of their game plan there. Uh, so I also had tight ends on there. I also had JT Daniels on stock down. Mm. You know, so JT obviously gets banged up on first drive of the, of the game. But, you know, he didn't do some things that we've seen from him previously. You know, there's some there's some throws that he missed. There's some throws he left short uh, where we've seen him connect previously. Now, maybe now part of this, I think, obviously, is that he got banged up and it, it had an effect. You know, your first time as a freshman quarterback and, you know, you get those 300 guys, 300 pound guys hitting you, you know, several times during the game. It's going to have an impact. But I think it, you know, it showed itself later in the game. You know, for example, the, the pass he threw to Amon Ra, St. Brown, in the back of the end zone, he nearly gets his foot down. Close to being a touchdown, would have made it 14-7. The very next play is third down. USC has an opportunity. JT's looking left uh, initially. The safety, the one high safety, goes to the left with, with him looking. He turns back to his right where Amon Ra was in the slot. Amon Ra breaks on a post route, and right when he's about to break, JT sees him, and if he steps into the throw, he throws it. It's a touchdown. The, the, the middle of the field was wide open. There was no linebackers underneath there. He had a great opportunity for a touchdown there. Instead, JT actually sees that there is a rusher about to come free, and he catches that out of the corner of his eye, and because of that, instead of stepping into that throw, he kind of gets happy feet and kind of rolls out of the pocket and tries to throw it back to his left again where he throws it out of bounds and it wasn't a catchable ball, catchable ball for Michael Pittman anyways. So instead of, you know, if he would have thrown that ball to Amon Ra, he probably would have taken a pretty good lick, but it also would have been a touchdown for USC. Um, so those are the type of things that I think he'll only grow and progress a, as he goes on. And I think that was a, a big learning experience for him. It was the first time he's been knocked around like that, I think, in, at the college level. And I think it's a lot different because that modern-day offensive line was really good last year for him um, with three or four or five guys that are going to be D1 talents on that in that group. So I think it's been a little bit different, you know, having the offensive line not be as good this year for him. And now it's going to be a learning process. Of how do you, how do you make adjustments as a quarterback? Do you get the ball out quicker? How do you kind of adjust to it? Because when he was getting pressured in that game, I clocked it, you know, I got a stopwatch out and clocked, uh, you know, all the times he was pressured and only, only one of them was more than three seconds. All the rest of them were like 2.2 or 2.3 seconds, which is really quick for a quarterback. That's basically one read for you and you have to make it, you have to get the ball out. So, you know, when they were getting pressure, they were getting there quick. So how did, how does USC make an adjustment? What are they going to do? And what does JT do to grow from this experience? I think he definitely will grow from this. But I did have him on stock down because of some of the throws that he wasn't making that we've seen him make before. You know, he didn't have the, you know, he was kind of open on his throws. You know, the throw, the first interception to Amon Ra, if he throws it deep to the end zone. Instead, he doesn't get his hips in line and, and push the throw. He really uh, kind of opened up his shoulders and he left it a little short, and that's enabled the safety to come intercept that one. And a couple other throws where he just didn't didn't have the, the correct mechanics, and part of it was, I think, because of how much he was getting hit in that game. So how much of JT's stock down uh, is dependent on the O-line? Well, it, it definitely – if you – if you want your quarterback, your, your freshman quarterback, to have a really good game, you know, protect him. If you protect him, he has a much better chance of doing that. If you don't protect him, he gets knocked around. That's when you're going to see things like we saw on Saturday, where you know the things that he normally does, he doesn't. He gets away from his, his normal routine, his normal throws, because he's being affected by the defense uh, of pressure. So the offensive line, I mean, I have been harping on it uh, throughout the. Uh, preseason and and you know the last couple weeks is that this team will go as far as the offensive line the offensive line has to play well if this team wants to live up to its expectations it was half facetious or, or rhetorical that question because obviously 
the O-line has a lot to do with it. I was just trying to give JT a little bit of a break there. Um, but I had stock down putting players in position to succeed on offense. Now, this is something that was kind of driving me insane in our film study a little bit, Shotgun. Um, the first one that, that I went kind of nuts on is the Devin Williams, his second play of the game on Stanford's 37. USC throws a deep ball to Devin. And I just... For Devin's second play of the game, that just seems like you're putting a lot on Devin. And it's forcing things to work. I mean, if you look at practice, Devin and JT don't have the best chemistry. They they haven't connected a lot. I think their timing is still a little off. JT's placement of the ball because De- uh, Devin is a little bit taller. You hear Devin chirp about it a lot of just throw it up there, JT, blah, 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 blah. And I, I just don't. If you're going to expect Devin to make that play, I, I don't expect Devin to make that play based on what I've seen in practice, and I don't know why the coaches expected that. Um, and then just getting too cute once USC got into the red zone. Um, USC's second drive on second and five on Stanford's 30, they got too cute. Um, the play blows up. Andrew Voorhees let the defender through. It just kills the drive. Why not stick with what works in that sense? And then the last part of this mini rant is adjusting when things go wrong. I mean, Brian Ellis said going into the UNLV game that they had essentially four different game plans based on what how JT played. Um, did they have that for Stanford? I'm really curious if they did. What's the game plan if things aren't working in the in, in the passing uh, game? I just I wonder where that goes. If, if USC has more success in run blocking, if you're seeing that progress through the game, why not play to your strength in that sense? So I to me, I don't think that USC's coaches did that enough to put USC in a position to succeed. Yeah, and you talk about that second and five. You know, they've been driving the ball with Matt Fink and running the ball. They try to do something where they brought some motion and, you know, and there was no one on that side of the field to 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 basically take the pressure off for the offensive line there. So Stanford basically crowds the line a little bit more and, and is able to come downhill and make a play there. Yeah, that was really kind of a, a strange play there when how well they've been running the ball by spreading everybody out. They went with some four receiver sets in that yeah. that uh, drive to basically, you know, and they put the receivers as far out as they could and because they were going to run it. So they wanted to to spread out those defensive backs and force them to be on the outside and make it basically, uh, you know, a, you know, a seven on seven game in the middle with, you know, it's basically the run period that they run uh, during practice where it's just the linemen and linebackers against the linemen and running back and quarterback. They try to do that, but and they did that to success. You know, when they ran four wides, they had an 11-yard gain and an 8-yard gain back-to-back. Set them up for a second and two. They they run two runs. You know, they get one yard each to get the first down, get five yards on that first down, you know, afterwards. And then they try to get cute with that, like you said, and they lose five yards. Suddenly it's third and ten. You're putting Matt Fink in a bad situation where, you know, the his second throw – uh, of the game is going to be a third and 10, a big situation for USC as they were trying to you know, come back from that 7-0 hole that they were in. So yeah, there were some things, there was just, just kind of head scratching. Like, why, why would you do that now? Like there, you could do a lot of different things, but why not stick with what's working in that, in that sense? Uh, you know, when they're doing so well on that drive, uh, you know, with basically spreading them out and, and finding the holes there to kind of bring everything tight in like they did on that, that play was, it was kind of, kind of baffling. Not to put you on the spot right now, but do you have the stats of how much they use that that four wide set? Yeah, looking at the stats, you know they they went four wides nine times. Uh, you know it was mostly later in the game when you know that they uh, were trying to pass to catch up. You know that final drive, but when they ran the ball out of it, now they only ran it a couple times. Uh, you know three runs out of it out of four wides, and they gained twenty two yards on it. So over seven yards a carry. 
uh, on three opportunities there. Uh, so, so that was you know their best running formation actually by a yardage. Um, so they they had an opportunity to to do some different things on that drive, and you know they showed the four wide, which was something new. Now, when they showed four wide later, you know Stanford had made an adjustment after halftime, but. You know, when you have something new, keep using it and, you know, force Stanford at least to call a timeout if you're doing something really well. And there's like, we got to make an adjustment right now before this gets, you know, too late um, during that drive. So I would have kept kept running it with that and, and forced them to change something. And as soon as they made an adjustment, then I throw that bubble screen out there and, you know, pick up some yards with my receivers. So there were opportunities. And if you really wanted to, put Devin Williams out there for the bubble screen and get him an actual catch before you start throwing deep balls to him. I mean, yeah. <laughs> let him get one career catch in before you have to tell him to go make a play in the red zone. Like yeah, that. exactly. Exactly. Good. Yes. Said everything that I was ranting about. Uh, who, <laughs> who else do you got on Stockdown? That's all I got for Stockdown. I mean, there, there's several other you could put on there. I mean, the coaching itself, uh, just the preparation didn't feel like that they were completely ready for this. And some of the things they did to were – were more like they were trying to be Stanford. Since they were playing Stanford, they had to try to do things like Stanford. I know people have clamored for, you know, USC and short yard situation to get under center and, you know, bring a fullback in, bring Brandon Peely in as the fullback or something. Well, they did go under center this game in a third and one situation, but they brought the tight end super tight. It was a two tight end set. So it was basically everyone's bunched up. Why are you doing that against Stanford? You know, use your athletes, use, get into space, that type of thing. That's what usually works for you against Stanford instead of trying to go mano a mano. Now they picked up the first down, but it wasn't a great run. It was a one-yard run for Stephen Carr. Um, so it was just there was just some things that was like didn't really make sense. Like why are you trying to to do what Stanford goes against in practice every day already? Why why do something that they're used to? Yeah, exactly. I completely agree. Side note, when Brett Nealon came in uh, with the 99, for some reason I read it from across the field as 91, and I was like, oh, Peely is in. What is happening? I was like, this is awesome. But then I quickly was let down. Um, I have one more stock down, and I have accountability. And accountability as far as the coaching staff goes, and at least what they tell the media. And I thought it was a stark contrast to what we heard from some of the players. I mean, for example, if you hear uh, JT Daniels after the loss, he said, the biggest blame goes on me. Age is not an ex excuse and neither is experience. If coach puts me as a starter, I got to get the job done. And that's impressive for someone who should be in his senior year of high school to take uh, accountability like that when it, I don't even really think it was square on his shoulders as far as the loss goes. But when you look at Clay Helton, I was really curious how Clay was going to treat um, his post-game press conference and how he was going to maybe spin it after the game. And, and he definitely did spin it a little bit. He said, very proud of our kids and how they played tonight. I thought they competed like warriors. I just sometimes what Clay says after games, I don't feel like it matches up with what we saw in the game. If this was a game where USC lost on a close game and, and someone shanked a field goal and that's how they lost, then yeah, I think that's a very valid thing to say. And I don't I don't think that I'm not saying that he should come out and rip his players and be like, This is horrible. But at the same time I still think that you need to at least own up to some of the things. And he kind of did, but I feel like your first statement is where people really listen and I don't feel like it was something that was so uh accountable or, or taking accountability as coaches and play calling or getting the players prepared. So that's something is kind of, it kind of irks me. And I know from my Twitter mentions, it definitely irks other people. Um, <laughs> but like, if we're being like real talk right now, I feel like if you're insecure about something or your ability to do something, you're naturally going to get defensive. So I get that. And I, it's understandable why the coaches maybe won't say as much as maybe the players will. But I feel like when, 
younger players are taking more accountability, it doesn't look good, and it, I don't think it's fair to the players. And in the same sense, I feel like it doesn't save the coaches any heat by not taking at least some accountability or responsibility for the loss. Um, I think if anything, it does the opposite. It makes fans think that they don't. They think a loss like this is semi-acceptable or that things don't need to be changed. And obviously the coaching staff knows that because they're there. But if they don't say that, I think the fan base gets really upset. So I don't know. Accountability needs to happen. I was just really hoping somebody would come over when JT said that and put their hand on his shoulder like a lineman or a wide receiver and, and break out the Terrell Owens. That's my quarterback. That's my quarterback, man. That's my quarterback. People. Somebody when, should have broke that out. When the quarterback competition was happening and I put something that JT did, people would put that gif and reply like, <laughs> that's my quarterback. So, yeah. Heard it on the sidelines. What what did you hear, Shotgun? Uh, we'll start with, uh, you know, the other day, you know, Clay Helton's, I think, Sunday call. And, you know, he talks about, you know, driving these long drives. And, you know, we got the ball on the 20. We got to get better field position because these long drives, you know, we, we just can't be perfect the entire long drive. It's like, what? What do you mean you can't? Like, why would you be saying that? Like, it's it, He and Tim Martin as well both had such a defeatist attitude with, with some of the words they use, their choice uh, of saying some things, uh, in, including that. And it should be that, oh, if we go on a long drive, we know the defense is going to mess up at least once and we're going to capitalize on it. That's what, that's what your attitude should be. Instead, they're like, well, we can't be perfect, obviously. You know, we wouldn't be able to do that. We couldn't go 10, 11 plays and not mess up something, whether it's the offensive line, the receivers, or whoever it is. We're going to mess up something. So we have to do it quickly. It's like, and he talked about how they needed these explosive plays, and basically it was the reason why they need the explosive plays because they can't sustain a long drive because they'll mess something up. I was like, what kind of attitude is that, and what kind of, how does that kind of, is that handed down to the players, whether they're even recognized or not? That you know, if you have that uh, intent in your, you know, what you're saying is like, oh yeah, well, we can't, just, just, we're not able to do, you know, have a perfect drive or anything. That's not us. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't agree with that either, especially with T. Martin saying, well, I don't know where the breakdown is going to happen when I'm playing, calling plays. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. Um, I had, a, it's a kind of a niche heard it on the sideline. But uh, there was a table uh, near that was kind of butted up against where all the fans are sitting. And so I'm pregame. I'm trying to get stuff ready and doing stuff on my computer. And, and, I, and these guys come over and they're like, hey, excuse me. And they're holding this huge fat head of some random person's face. And I was like, what is happening? And they're like, hey, excuse me. Could you uh, give this fat head to the song girls, the USC song girls? Like our friends in the military, we want to surprise him with his fat, his fat head uh, being held by song girls. And I'm like, okay, sure. Like, what do you want me to do? And I'm trying to get directions. And then like, as I'm talking to them, their eyes kind of widen a little bit. And they're like, Keely Hoare, stock neutral, stock neutral. That did not happen. I swear it did. If you weren't talking to other people on the sideline, you would have seen it. And so it happened. Apparently, they're listeners of the show. Thanks for listening. Glad I could help out in that little fun thing you did for your friend. Um, and I would just like to say, Shotgun, that stock neutral is like low-key our calling card now. Because no, it's not. It is. Because afterwards, oh I, was, <laughs> I was walking over and someone was like, stock neutral, <laughs> stock neutral nation. So I can't believe you're like making people up, like just to uh, further push your stock neutral baloney. I, no. I think that's just that's just uh, terrible of you to do. I'm dead serious. This is what sure. happened. You know, I facetiously say stock neutral nation, but you know, I'm starting to believe it. We're out there, and we're oh we're, my God. we're a nation, here. and we're strong. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else you got on? Heard it. 
<laughs> I don't even know how to get over that last <laughs> one. So, um, you know, I'm just going to have to take Clay Helton's advice to the team yesterday. When you know, so last week I know a lot of people got upset when he said that Stanford's the best team we're going to face this year. So I was interested to see what he said. It was basically the same time. You know, Tuesday he called the players up. You know, after their stretching, did the same thing yesterday. And so this time the tone was a little bit different. It wasn't talking about the other team. It was wake your asses up. Wow. Clay was yelling at the team. He's like, wake your asses up. Let's go. And like, you know, it, it was good to see some fire from him. And then a separate hurt it's that, that kind of combines with this. It was interesting. The team then broke it down. And what they said was beat their ass. That was what they broke it down on. <laughs> interesting. And I was like, oh, okay. So maybe there's a little fire from this team. You know, I think that's a good thing to see that the team, uh, you know, has a little fire in their, in their britches uh, this week after, after getting beat at Stanford. But the weird thing is that I don't feel like that really necessarily transferred over to the to the rest of the practice it was a slightly sloppy practice I thought that there wasn't a lot of like crispness some fire I don't know it just didn't have that that oomph that maybe you're you're looking for after a loss to to Stanford like that we did have a little bit of six on six dissension you know with uh Michael Pittman and Isaac Taylor Stewart both yelling back and forth at each other so that's true but that happens uh, all the time Pittman Pittman always gets himself into something (laughs) He gets under some people's skin, I think. So, uh, I think they need somebody to instigate something. I, I'm hoping at practice today they get a little scuffle or something going. You know, get some fire in the belly. Well, this goes into my other heard it on the sideline. Is just I was going to ask you about USC's sideline presence. I know a lot has kind of been talked about. You know, the sense of urgency and when USC felt like they were kind of out of it. What do you feel about USC's sideline presence and how players handle things? I know last season we talked a lot about how USC needs an offensive leader. Um, and I don't know if they have one. Maybe we can't see it. I don't know. We don't see the full picture. But do you feel like there's someone that that riles up the team or or does that when the game when the sideline's a little meh? At least on the offensive side, you don't really see it. And even you know, Toa was asked about it after the game. Is like, hey, do you have to change your approach basically in the locker room with some of the guys? He said, you know, I can't I can't be somebody different than who I am. He's like, they'll see it as fake. So he's basically saying that he can't, you know, get in people's faces or anything like that. That's not the person that he is, and and he just thinks his teammates wouldn't respect it or wouldn't, uh, you know, wouldn't respond to that because they think he's just doing it, um, you know, just for show. Which I had a coach who did that, you know, and, and my college baseball coach did that. So you know, you know, and everybody on the team was like, yeah, whatever, dude. Nobody's listening to you because because that wasn't his his temperament normally. So uh, I think that he has a point there, but some he, then he needs to pass it off to somebody else. Uh, you know, Chuma or somebody. Chuma's a fiery guy. Get past the Chuma. Tell Chuma to get in somebody's face and, and go at it, you know, whatever. Um, because, like you said, I didn't pay that much attention to it. But looking back on it, I realized that there, there really really wasn't any, like, big emotion on the sideline. There wasn't people upset. You know, it was just, you know, there's talk about what they needed to do to, you know, correct stuff and fix things. But it wasn't really a lot of emotion. Like, nobody was over there firing somebody up or anything like that. So uh, once once it was brought up, I kind of looked back and was like, oh, okay, yeah, I didn't really see anything. You actually said that you paid a little bit more attention to it than I did, right? Yeah, I mean, I always try and, like, get a feel for things. Um, and I just try to watch, especially if the game is kind of meh as it was. Like, just trying to get a sense for any other details that I can grab of, like, what is this team? How is this team processing it? I didn't really see anything. And the thing is, is, like, Guys like Tyler Vaughn's and like Aka Cedric Ware, they're very like low low key casual players, which I don't think is necessarily a wrong thing. Like I think with t- the whole Toa Lobanon thing, you should be authentic. You should be who you are. You shouldn't be some fiery guy just because. 
But the thing is, is does any does USC have anyone on offense that can be that guy? Maybe Almond Ross St. Brown, but does he feel like he's in a position where he can do that? I don't know. Maybe that's what's needed. But I just, it didn't seem like, it felt like USC thought they were out of it towards the end of the third quarter. And I asked Alka Cedric where about that, and, and I asked him directly, that's what I thought. And he said, no, it, it didn't really feel like that to us, and so maybe that's something that I'm misinterpreting. But just it just seemed very... Um, slow and eh, we're kind of out of it. There, there wasn't any like, hey guys, we have to get into this and we can do it. You know, I don't know if that was there. Yeah, you didn't feel like there was a big sense of urgency. You didn't get that emotional feeling from the sideline like you sometimes do in games. Yeah, and Alka Cedric Ware said that that was one of the main takeaways for the offense. The first one was protecting JT Daniels and making him comfortable in the pocket, but the other one was a sense of urgency. And if that's your number two takeaway, is that a little concerning? Because that shouldn't be something that necessarily is needed to be reinforced, right? Yeah, not in a game like against Stanford. You know, if it's Oregon State or something and you're just playing sloppy and you're like, uh, oh, this is a team we're going to beat, that's different. But this is a top 25 matchup. You know, you're on an, a, an opponent's campus. You know, you're going through that. It's your first road game. It's just, yeah, it was. it's a little disconcerting that it's, it was so meh on the sidelines. Yeah, and it's game two. I feel like a lot of the way USC came back to practice, the way they're talking about it, it feels like we've already played – 10 games and they're already like, yeah, we know who we are. We're good. We just have to make some adjustments, but it's game two. And I don't know if you can have that attitude this early in the season. I don't know. Well, they definitely need to make some adjustments though. It's true. Do you have anything else on hard it? <laughs> That's it. Agree. Disagree. Dun, dun, dun. I feel like we need the, who wants to be a millionaire music where it's like, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, can't get the family feud buzzer. So I can, eh, eh, I'm working on the sound effects so we can be a cool hip young sure. podcast. Uh, USC's offensive line is the main reason why the Trojans can't be a top-level program this year. Agree. Mm. I definitely agree with that. And I asked Chuma Adoga yesterday, I said, what will it take for this team to be a dominant, dominant offensive line? And he said, you know, we feel like we're almost there. I was like, I wanted to say, I feel like you're not. So uh, they just say they got to communicate better and they have to, you know, keep working. So I don't, I don't know what that tells you about what they will actually do. Um, and again, if like I, I, I talked about this a lot on the live show we had on Sunday, that it was a, you know, a much closer game than it appeared. I mean, if, if Amon Ra gets his toe down, it's a, it's a 14-7 game then. Now, if you if you throw the next one, the interception to Amon, you throw it in the right place, it's a touchdown there. So suddenly there's two touchdowns right there that they didn't have, and you would have been tied. And there's a lot of things that were very close or just a little off. And, you know, I, I talked about it in the first game that it felt like, you know, uh, JT with Tyler Vons and Michael Pittman were just a little off. It felt like the whole team was that uh, this past week. Now, if they come out and put things together, I think they'll blow away Texas. They have that capability. They are, they are that talented individually. But what are they as a team? And that's been the question it seems to be coming up more and more is what is this group as a team there's talented players what are they as a team yeah yeah that's I think that's something we actually discussed on a podcast earlier is is this just a group of talented individuals versus a talented team force does that make sense um in that same vein of what you were no talking about. space force. It's a team force. <laughs> a space force. Uh, I was talking to Seth about this, and I wanted to see your opinion. It's, it almost feels like something might just click, and suddenly this team might be on fire offensively. It just seems like certain things are off. Granted, there's that whole offensive line conundrum, but as far as the skill players, I feel like things are just off where you know where USC is talented enough, where at some point, 
it's going to click and somehow it will uh, it will definitely elevate this team. Yeah, I, I feel like this team, like I've said this a lot, and I, you know, usually when I cover baseball, I say this a lot because baseball players are much more unique players, and you were know, thirty people versus eighty. This team needs something to rally around. You give an eighteen to twenty-two year old something to rally around, whether they feel slighted about something or they're playing for someone or whatever the reason is. You give them something to rally around. They play together. They take. They can go to uh, whole new levels. Uh, you see it a lot of times, like in the NCAA basketball tournament, you give a team like Chicago, you know, you get them rallying about Sister Jean or whatever it is, and suddenly, you know, they're on fire and they make all these shots and different things. Like 18 to 22 year olds, because of their emotional sways back and forth, if they have something to rally around, you get them fully focused on something, they can do great things. And I think that's the same thing with this team. You give this team something to rally around in some form or fashion. I don't know what it would be, but you, you get them something and they come together as a group. Yeah, they could definitely. They could go on a run. They could, you know, they could potentially run the table on the schedule that they have. Um, you know, starting this week because I think this is the the hardest game left on their schedule besides maybe Notre Dame at home. But this is on the road in a hostile environment. So if you start with this week and something gets them to connect, you know, this team could you know grow by leaps and bounds as the season continues. So in that sense, here's another one: fans are overreacting, and this type of offensive performance is expected with a rookie quarterback. Fans were always overreacting. That's that's a definite agree. Regardless of positive, negative, it's always an agree. Um, I, I think that with a freshman quarterback, you, you kind of expect that you're going to get a performance like you did on Saturday every once in a while, or at least once in that freshman year. JT Daniels is super talented. I, you know, I've said I think he's a future NFL starter. I'm gonna stick by that unless I see a couple more games where if he gets hit and suddenly you know he loses his mechanics a little bit, and then I might start to worry about it. But I think it's just one game. I think it's something he learns from. So it happens. Um, how how do you how much do you learn from it? How do you bounce back from it? That's what I'm more interested in than the fact that he had one bad game. Agree or disagree? Clay Helton and T. Martin are on the hot seat now. Uh, are Clay Helton and T. Martin on the hot seat now? Ooh, that's you know I think that they're. It all depends on their bosses, and I don't think either of their bosses feels that they're on the hot seat right now. So Clay Helton being T. Martin's boss and Lynn Swan being Clay Helton's. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna disagree with that right now. Interesting. As, from a fan perspective, are they on the hot seat? Well, from a fan perspective, every coach is always on the hot seat. Nick Saban's probably on the hot seat if he loses a game. It doesn't matter. Why? Why didn't they do this? I'm, I think he. I think you. Uh, well, actually, let's take that back. He would have to lose two games. Um, or three games, depending on how many national championships you get. I think that's how many games you get to lose before people freak out. <laughs> um, agree, disagree. USC does not prepare hard enough in practice. Uh, I agree. After last week, you know, I thought that they went from that mock game week where we thought that they were going to be physical and, and this was going to kind of be the approach that they were going to take into the season, and then it kind of went away. So last week, you know, there was not much contact between the players. You know, that is the game, you know, don't talk about fresh legs because you're only going to play, like you said, you played 57 plays on defense. Well, why, why do you need fresh legs for it? I mean, you're going to face a physical team, obviously, but you're going to play a lot less plays, so it's not going to have the same impact as playing 90 plays against maybe a little bit less physical team, I don't think. Um, so I thought they should have went at it in practice last week and got prepared for that physicality so they didn't get hit and be like, oh, wait, what is this? Why does this hurt so much? Or whatever it is. Uh, you know, I, I thought it was it was not great preparation by the coaching staff how they went at, went at last week's game. That has become a, a semi-thing. Uh, people in my mentions said, fresh legs, fight on. <laughs> so, yeah. 
fans are funny that way. Um, Someone just needs the nickname Fresh Legs. Who? I don't know. They just got to give some freshman or something. He's got to get that nickname in, in the future. <laughs> okay. Uh, moving Johnny on. Fresh Legs Jenkins or something. I don't know. That's good. But, I like that. Maybe you. Some, I need some alliteration, though. Freddie uh, Freddy Fresh Legs Lincoln. Frank That's it. Fresh Legs Martin. Maybe. No. 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 Freddie Lincoln. Freddie Fresh Legs Lincoln. That's okay. it. Whatever. Now we uh, just got to create that player in the uh, new NCAA game that's never going to come out. True. R.I.P. Question, <laughs> Shotgun. Uh, please put on your tethoscope or telescope. Or what's the stethoscope? Oh, my God. Stethoscope. Telescope. One of those scopes. <laughs> Dr. Shotgun, please put on your stethoscope. What are you sure. prescribing for this USC team? What is the fix going forward? Considering you just cut out telescope and periscope, I think it's probably one of those things instead of a stethoscope. <laughs> so um, I'm prescribing an offensive line that works together as a unit and blocks guys. I mean, that's, that's what will correct everything. If the offensive line plays better, then JT has more time. If JT has more time, JT is going to be more efficient. He's going to be able to hit his receivers better instead of you know falling back a little bit on some of his throws or having to run and scramble. Even having to be Houdini and get out of a sack and pick up a first down. You know, it's a great play, but obviously you hope that you, your quarterback never has to do that. The offensive line plays better. You'll have more running lanes, and then you can get back to being balanced because then teams have to worry about the run run as much as the pass. Uh, so I think it all starts with the offensive line. Uh, Josh from the Mojave Desert says, what would you say was USC's main problem on offense? Is it the same Mo- thing? Mojave. Uh, <laughs> yes, it was the same thing. The offensive line did not play great, and therefore, the, you know, even you know, even if you have basic, you know, uh, I played in high school in a wing T offense, which is a very basic offense. You have that or a triple option offense at, at Georgia Tech. Now, there's a lot of flair that you can put into a triple option you know you can run motions different ways or whatever it is but it all comes down to basically the same uh, principles on each play doesn't matter how complex the offense is if you don't block for it, it doesn't matter now if you play if you block up front then you can run pretty much any offense against a team now it's going to be more difficult if you have less plays and less stuff to prepare for as a defense but it doesn't really matter if you if you truly execute every single play as it's supposed to be done. Then you can you can run whatever offense you want. So that starts with the offensive line still. Uh, why wasn't USC as successful with the defensive line and creating some type of, of of pressure on on KJ Costello? Yeah, I think part of it is KJ Costello himself. I, I think he did a really good job of getting rid of the ball when there was pressure coming. You know, he moved a little bit in the pocket. Uh, you know, he, he very. You know, similar to what Cody Kessler or, or even JT is um, as far as having that pocket movement to, to be able to keep you away from getting some of those hits. Um, you know, in you a couple times when USC like really beat offensive linemen, for example, uh, on a third and long, Porter Gustin puts a spin move on um, on AT Hall and just absolutely leaves him in the dust. I have a picture of AT just like looking back, like, "Oh, please hope I hope he throws the ball before he gets there," that type of thing. Um, <laughs> And it was a screen pass. It was the other way. And so he made this great move, and yet they got rid of the ball almost immediately, so he didn't have a chance uh, to get to the quarterback. So it was kind of bad luck in that, that sense. And, you know, he got to uh, Costello one time, was pulling him down from behind, and Costello just basically spikes it in the middle of the field, and they didn't call intentional grounding or anything. Costello, like, hits his face pretty hard on the ground. They got a couple good shots on Costello, but, you know, give uh, KJ uh, credit for sticking in there, taking those shots, and still being able to to make the throws. And he didn't have to throw that much. I mean, you know, they, they basically ran the ball most of the time. Um, and the throws he did make, you know, he was attacking the seams pretty well. And, you know, a couple of jump balls against Greg Johnson. Uh, you know, the touchdown was a really nice catch by Colby Parkinson getting the foot down, but 
you know, the, the passing game didn't really do too much against USC. So part of it, it not being able to get that pressure is that you weren't facing a ton of passing plays. You know, the, the disappointing thing were the third and longs and they did give up. They weren't able to get the pressure and then they were able to find the soft spots in the zones and stuff. So, uh, you know, I give it's kind of a wash for the defensive line. They didn't get there to give pressure, but they played pretty well against the run, uh, barring that one long run from uh, Bryce Love. Um, why isn't USC taking more advantage of screens? You know, they tried, I think, three different screens in the game. Uh, one of them worked, uh, Stephen Carr, you know, late in the half. I think that was a scream. It was just a flare pass. You know, they threw one to Mal- uh, Malapai on a third law or third and ten, I think, and they were trying to get, you know, some yards and get – that might even be the one after the second and five play got uh, blown up. Um, and it just didn't develop very well. The offensive line didn't block it as well as they could. And I think JT kind of rushed that one in particular. So I think there are screen games in their option. But also part of the reason why your screen games didn't work a lot is because Stanford wasn't bringing five, six, seven guys. They were doing it with four. Now they were doing some zone pressures where uh, defensive line might back out and Al Ferry, you know, was coming on those long stunts and was able to get to the quarterback coming from outside, moving inside to the, to the A-gap. Um, so as a linebacker, while someone else dropped off, but it was always four guys that were bringing that pressure. So I, usually screen passes are great when you're able to catch a team blitzing and you get them get them because then there's less blockers, I mean less defenders to have to block out on, in the open field. Uh, so the USC didn't really have to face that. So that's part of the reason why the screen game didn't, didn't get off the ground. Um, one of our last questions here, do you think USC is prepared to go into Texas? I know David Shaw didn't necessarily say it, but you could kind of tell he didn't want to lose to USC for a third time. And I think USC wasn't really prepared for that in that sense. And and Tom Herman, you know, he's feeling the heat from the fans. Um, If you look at Texas's schedule going forward, they play TCU and Oklahoma. So in some ways, more than one, this is a must win for Texas. Um, Do you think USC is ready for not only the environment, but what Texas is going to bring and the fire that they're going to bring? You know, there were rumors that, that last year Herman was telling boosters that, you know, they were saving stuff for USC before the season. Yep. You know, that they were that they were going to go beat USC. This was a huge game for him. You know, he's from Southern California, I believe. I know he played here or coached here previously. Uh, so, you know, he has ties to Southern California, so it means a lot to him because he has family and friends that, you know, might say something about USC when, when it, you know, it brings up the schedule or brings up the season. Uh, so it's a big game for him. And obviously, he wants to have the. You want to have as many marquee wins as you can, especially out of conference when you have an opportunity early in the season as an early season coach, um, because you know those are the type of uh, of wins that can you know can push your program forward because it gets a national audience and everything else. Uh, so I think that you know he seems very intent on this game. So I, I think for USC, it doesn't have the same emotion maybe as as. It does for him uh, last year. I know USC fans. Now, if USC would have lost to Texas last year, and you can say, okay, they're on a two-game losing streak to them, including the the uh, the Rose Bowl, the famous Vince Young, Reggie Bush, Matt Leonard Rose Bowl, then that maybe there's more motivation for USC. But for USC, it's bouncing back from Stanford. That's their motivation more than the fact that they're going to Texas. Yeah, and in that same sense, how much does this Texas game really matter in the grand scheme of the season. I mean, USC could lose, but that doesn't have any effect on the Pac-12. It doesn't have any effect on the Pac-12. However, if they have greater aspirations, and like I said, if they come together, they could run the table. It's not impossible. Um, Then you have to win this game. You get two losses, then they're out of the playoff for sure. Finally, 
where do you see USC going from here? Um, what what can be a successful season for USC? I see them going out to the practice field here in a little bit, and then probably going <laughs> to Texas uh, on you know Thursday night, um, maybe Friday morning. It just depends. That's so, where I see them going. So literal, Mister Gunn. Oh, okay. Um, you know, I think that it, it it's hard to say where this team goes because it depends on whether or not that offensive line plays better. The offensive line plays better, all your issues start to clear up, or most of them. Most of your issues start to clear up. I'm sure there'll still be people hating on Clay Helton and hating on T. Martin's play calling, but if the offensive line blocks, then it completely changes the dynamic of that offense. Well, that's the big if. And do you it's see that? Oh, do you I, see that I, happening? I mean, it's, it's Neil Callaway's third year. There should be more experienced guys on the line, but we're not seeing anything. I mean, so does that necessarily mean that there won't be? I mean, it's hard forward? to believe that from your past track record. You know, the fact that the offensive line was, was struggled in the Ohio State game and the fact that there was communication issues in your 13th game of the year, you know, that makes it hard to think that, you know, everything's going to come together and work out. Now, the, the one, you know, there's a possibility if it's not working, do you make a change? Do you make a change either at the coaching spot or do you make some changes with the personnel that are participating? You know, uh, if things continue to not go well, then you change or, you know, evolve or die. Evolve or die, indeed. Any final thoughts, Shotgun? I know you got to go to practice. I got to drive to practice. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? I think that's about it. I think uh, I'm ready to to get to Austin and you know see what the uh, music and barbecue vibe is about. Ooh, I'm excited. Also, if you're listening, if you're going to Austin or live in Austin, we will be having a meetup at the Key Bar at 3:30 on Friday. Shotgun's not going to be there because he's lame. But I will be there. Dan will be there. Because I'm going to be bringing you guys more high school football content. Thank you. I'm going to a game while you guys are just dilly-dallying and hanging out with folks. I'm going to be working. Sorry. It's at 3.30, Shotgun. Come on. Uh, (laughs) So he's lame. Ryan will be there. I'll be there. Dan will be there. So you can come to that. Oh, Shotgun. Keys to the game against Texas. What does USC need to do? Boom. Putting on spot. Score more points than they do, you know, which would start with having a good offensive line. Uh, you know, I think running the ball against the against Texas because I'm not sold on their front seven right now. I mean, they replaced some of their best guys, Malik Jefferson, and a couple other guys up front. Uh, they do have you know a veteran group, you know, they're older guys in that set on that uh, defense. But I'm not sold yet on on them being able to to stop the run if USC you know blocks it well. Alrighty. That's going to wrap it up on to Texas. We'll see you guys next week.